الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف المرسلين سيدنا ونبينا وشفيعنا وحبيبنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته وأصحابه ومن تبئهم بإحسان واستن بسنتهم ودعا بدعوتهم إلى يوم الدين أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يقول الله تعالى رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم يسر ولا تؤسر وتمم لي بالخير السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته أهلا وسهلا ومرحبا to our respected listeners the listeners of Markaz Sohaba Online Sultu Ahli Sunnah Wal Jama'a the voice of the Ahlus Sunnah Wal Jama'a and this is the Coffee Express coming to you live from the studios in Durban, South Africa. Now as we know our format is we begin with our Tazkiya segment then we go on to Du'as then we take a short break and we return and get on with our segment on Palestine and we conclude with the segment on our preparation for the noble month of Ramadan. Now regarding our Tazkiya segment currently the discussion is revolving around the importance of having knowledge of the names, the qualities, and the actions of Allah, the asma, the sifat, and the af'al of Allah because it is important for one to know uh, the, these names and qualities and acts of Allah for the purpose of purifying one's soul. And by knowing these names, one also uh, you know, begins to understand the laws of nature and the laws of the Sharia. You know, what is the wisdom behind the laws of nature, the universal laws of Allah and the laws of the Sharia. And in this way, um, one gets closer to Allah because it is Ma'rifatullah that brings one closer to Allah and assists one in purifying one's soul. Of course, purification of the soul is what gets one closer to Allah. Now, we were discussing the names of Allah and in our sessions last week, we went through Ayatul Kursi because, you know, the fundamental names of Allah and qualities of Allah are discussed in Ayatul Kursi. We learned that is Al-Hayy, he is Al-Qayyum, then among his qualities, sleep nor slumber, overtakes him, etc. So today, 
we are going to do another verse in the Quran that tells us about the names and uh, qualities of Allah and that is verse number 67 of Surah Al-Zumar. Let us first read the Arabic text of the verse and thereafter do a rough English translation and get into the explanation of this verse. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim wa ma qadaru allaha haqqa qadrihi wal ardu jami'an qabdatuhu yawmal qiyamati was samawatu matwiyatun wassamawatu matwiyatun biyamini Subhanahu wa ta'ala amma yushrikun. Now that is verse number 67 of Surah Al-Zumar. And a rough translation would be, they have not shown Allah Azza wa Jalla his proper reverence. Now some translations you would read, they have not estimated Allah Azza wa Jalla as he should be. What it actually means is that the conception of Allah Azza wa Jalla is incorrect. You know, they have all uh, corrupt conceptions of Allah Azza wa Jalla. When on the day of judgment the whole earth will be in his grip and the heavens will be rolled up in his right hand. Glorified and exalted is he above what they associate with him. So the verse begins with Wama qadri. They did not recognize the greatness of Allah as it should be recognized. And how did this come about? It came about because they associated partners with him. And they uh, requested Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam to join them in the idolatry. As we know, the, when we read the reason for revelation of uh, Surah Al-Kafirun, this is what we read. That these idolaters actually asked Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam or requested him, you worship our idols one year and we will worship your ilah one year. So this was one of the ways in which they did not recognize the greatness of Allah Azza wa Jalla. You know, if you, one believes that Allahu Akbar, that Allah Azza wa Jalla is greater than the rest of creation, then most certainly one would not, you know, um, think of any of the creation as, we'll say, a partner, a parallel of Allah Azza wa Jalla. Because Allah Azza wa Jalla is the greatest. Nothing can be equal to Allah Azza wa Jalla. So, uh, by doing this, practicing idolatry, you are not recognizing the greatness of Allah Azza wa Jalla, the Qudra of Allah Azza wa Jalla, and all those other names and qualities. Their measure of the greatness of Allah Azza wa Jalla was deficient incorrect as they associated partners with him 
while he subhanahu wa ta'ala is akbar allahu akbar allah is the greatest nothing is equal to him or above him in greatness they equated stones and wood with him in their worship while he is the greatest there is nothing whatsoever that is greater than him he alone has power over everything without exception his power is invincible you know his power is unchallenged nothing can challenge the power of allah azza wa jalla nothing can resist the power of allah azza wa jalla because he is the possessor of everything without exception everything in the heavens and the earth and beyond is under his control and his power in short these people erred in the estimation of the greatness the power the knowledge the wisdom the justice of allah azza wa jalla hence the verse wa ma qadaru qadri they did not recognize allah azza wa jalla as he should be recognized the conception of allah azza wa jalla was incorrect as for whom this verse is referring to we read in the books of tafsir wad dhamir fi qadaru qala ibn abbas radhiyallahu ta'ala anhuma ila kuffar quraish kanat hadhihi al-aya kulluha muhawara lahum wa raddan alayhim so sayyidina abdullah ibn abbas states that this verse is referring to the disbelief of the quraish the disbelievers from among the quraish this whole verse is a conversation with them and a refutation of their practices and their claims it is also said that it refers to the jews who spoke about the qualities of allah azza wa jalla and they also erred in their conception in their estimation of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala their understanding of allah azza wa jalla they thought of allah azza wa jalla as a physical body warawal imam al bukhari an sayyidina abdullah ibn mas'ud radhiyallahu ta'ala anhu qala jaa'a habrun min al ahbari ila rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam faqala ya muhammad inna najidu anna allaha yaj'alu as-samawati ala isba'in wal ardin ala isba'in wal shajara ala isba'in wal ma'a wal thara'a ala isba'in wa sa'iril khala'iq ala isba'in فيقول انا الملك فضحك النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم حتى بدت نواجذه تصديقا لقول الحبري ثم قرا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم 
وَمَا قَدَرُ اللَّهَ حَقَّ قَدْرِهِ وَالْأَرْضُ جَمِيعًا قَبْدَتُهُ يَوْمَ الْكِيَامَةِ وَالسَّمَاوَاتُ مَتْوِيَاتٌ بِيَمِينِهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى أَمَّا يُشْرِكُونَ In this hadith, which is recorded by Imam al-Bukhari alayhi rahmatullah, on the authority of Sayyiduna Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, a Jewish rabbi came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said, O Muhammad, we learn that Allah Azza wa Jalla will put all the heavens on one finger and the earths on one finger and the trees on one finger and the water and the dust on one finger and all the other created things on one finger. Then he will say, I am the king. Thereupon Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam smiled so much so that his premolar teeth became visible. And that was the confirmation and that was the confirmation of the rabbi. Then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam recited. They made not a just estimate of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala such as is due to him. And on the day of resurrection, the whole of the earth will be grasped by his hand and the heavens will be rolled up in his right hand. Glorified is he and high is he above all that they associate as partners with him. Now the Jews' uh, understanding of this was incorrect. He was talking about each thing on one finger. Now we also read in another riwayah, وَأَخْرَجَ الشَّيْخَانُ وَالنَّسَعِي وَابْنُ مَاجَ فِي جَمَاعَةٍ آخِرِينَ عَنْ سَيِّدِنَا عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ عُمَرَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهُمَا أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ قَرَعَ هَذِهِ الْآيَةِ ذَاتَ يَوْمٍ عَلَى الْمِنْبَرِ وَمَا قَدَرُ اللَّهَ حَقَّ قَدْرِهِ وَالْأَرْضُ جَمِيعًا قَبْدَتُهُ يَوْمَ الْكِيَامَةِ وَالسَّمَاوَاتِ مَتْوِيَاتٌ بِيَمِينِهِ وَهُوَ يَقُولُ هَكَذَا بِيَدِهِ يُحَرِّقُهَا يُقْبِلُ بِهَا وَيُذْبِرُ وَيُمَجِّدَ الرَّبَّ نَفْسَهُ وَأَنَا الْجَبَّارُ أَنَا الْمُتَكَبِّرُ أَنَا الْمَلِكُ أَنَا الْعَزِيزُ أَنَا الْكَرِيمُ فَرَجَفَ بِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ الْمِنْبَرِ حَتَّى قُلْنَا لَيَحْزَنْ بِهِ Imam al-Bukhari, Imam Muslim, Imam al-Nasai, Imam ibn Majah, and other hadith scholars related on the authority of Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam read the verse, they did not recognize the true worth of Allah. Such is Allah's power that on the day of resurrection, the whole earth will be in his grasp and the heaven shall be folded up in his right hand. Glory be to him. Exalted be he from all that they associate with him. 
he sallallahu alaihi wasallam was making a forward and backward motion with his hand and he was saying the rabb is glorifying himself i am the omnipotent i am the supreme i am the king i am the mighty and i am the generous the pulpit shook while rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was on it now in yet another tafsir book at-ta'wilatun najmiya which is a tafsir that has been compiled by a sufi najmuddin al-kubra and it's more of a esoteric tafsir he states ma arafu allah haqqa ma'rifatihi wa ma wasafuhu haqqa wasfihi wa ma 'azzamuhu haqqa ta'zimihi faman وصفه بتمثيل او جنح الى تعطيل وانحرف عن الطريقه الحسنى وصف الحق بالاعضاء وتوهموا في نعته الاجزاء ما قدر الله حق قدري now this mufassir najmuddin alkubra alayhi rahmatullah states in his tafsir at-ta'wilatun najmiya they did not recognize allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he should be recognized they did not describe him as he should be described they did not extol him as he should be extolled he who describes him as the like of one of his creation or inclines towards thinking of him as inactive has deviated from the beautiful part allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then makes them aware of his majesty and lofty status stating wal arda jamian while the earth all of it the seven earths or every part of this earth the visible and the visible invisible the bowels and the surface qabdatuhu yawm al qiyamah the whole earth will be in his grip this part of the verse is actually explaining the infinite power and greatness of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hence they misconceive the greatness and the power of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they did not attribute to him the appropriate greatness and power by worshiping and serving other deities with him while the whole earth will be in his grip on the day of resurrection it would be his dominion and he would dispose of its affairs as he pleases just as a king disposes of the affairs of his kingdom unchallenged the whole earth in relation to his power is his grip this is an indicator to his infinite power and greatness while it also indicates to the significance of great acts of uh, the uh, it 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 also indicates to the insignificance of the great acts of other entities just as it indicates that the destruction of the whole world is the easiest task for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he takes it 
in the grip of his hand, all the earths can be taken into his grip or the palm of his hand. All at once, the way one of us will take something like a golf ball in the palm of our hand, all at once. These earths, despite their enormity, we're talking about the seven earths, are not equal to the grip of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, just away the way our grip over something like a golf ball, it covers it comfortably. The golf ball is a bit too small, you know, to um, uh, give us any difficulty in gripping it comfortably. Like that, the seven earths are in the grip of Allah Jalla. This is how insignificant these seven earths are as compared to the greatness and the power of Allah Jalla. Hence, the object of this statement is to reveal the greatness and the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which are absolute. We observe that Allah mentioned the earth before he mentioned the heavens. First he said, وَالْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا قَبْدَتُهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Then he says, وَالسَّمَاوَاتِ مَتْوِيَاتٌ بِيَمِينِهِ So he mentioned the earth before he mentioned the heavens. Hence the question arises, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention the earth before he mentioned the heavens? The ulama answered this stating that the reason for this is man has knowledge of the reality of the earth because he lives on it. So he mentioned what you can relate to first. In addition to this, they also state that since there are those in this world who claim kingship on earth, they claim power, majesty, which and this will not be the case in the hereafter. As all power belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they in the hereafter. He subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned Yawmul Qiyamah for this reason. Imam al-Qurtubi alayhi rahmatullah states in his tafsir, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically mentioned the hereafter even though his absolute, infinite and invincible power encompasses this world and the hereafter because all claims will cease to exist on that day as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states in another verse وَالْأَمْرُ يَوْمَ لِلَّهِ that the whole affair on that day is for Allah Jalla. No one else will have any say except those whom he permits to, you know, say something that is shafa'a, intercede. Then Allah Jalla goes on to say, وَالسَّمَاوَاتُ مَتْوِيَّاتٌ بِيَمِينِ The heavens, despite its enormity, will be folded in his right hand. وَعَنْ سَيِّدِنَا عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ عَبَّاسٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَىٰ عَنْهُمَا قَالَ مَا السَّمَاوَاتُ السَّبَعُ وَالْأَرْدُونَ السَّبَعُ فِي يَدِ اللَّهِ إِلَّا كَقَرْدَلَةٍ فِي يَدِ أَحْدِكُمْ 
Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abbasin radiyallahu ta'ala anhu states, What is the seven heavens and the seven earths in the hand of Allah who Jalla, except like a mustard seed in the hands of one of you? That is what it is. A mustard seed in our hand, how tiny that mustard seed is. Uh, there's still so much of vacant space in our hand when we're holding one mustard seed in the center of our palm. Now, that is exactly the size of the seven heavens and the seven earths in the hands of Allah. It's like the way a mustard seed is in our hands. Now, this is the greatness of Allah. We're not just talking about this earth. We're talking about the seven earths. We're talking about the seven heavens. they like a mustard seed in the hands of Allah. So this is the greatness of Allah. The message of the verse is that the whole earth will be under his dominion on the day of judgment. All seven earths. He will dispose of its affairs however he pleases. And no one will have the power to influence his decision or challenge or oppose him. There is an indication here that the partners from the earth, like the idols and the sages, or from the heavens, like the angels, that the idolaters associated with Allah will be under his power. They cannot do anything to benefit anyone. وَرَوَى الْإِمَامُ الْبُخَارِي عَنْ سَيِّدِنَا أَبِي هُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهُ قَالْ سَمِئْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَقُولْ يَقْبِضُ اللَّهُ الْأَرْضَ وَيَتْوِي السَّمَاءَ بِيَمِينِهِ ثُمَّ يَقُولُ أَنَا الْمَلِكُ أَيْنَ مُلُوكُ الْأَرْضِ Imam al-Bukhari alayhi rahmatullah relates on the authority of Sayyiduna Abu Huraira radiyallahu ta'ala anhu who states I heard Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say Allahu azza wa jalla will grab the earth in his palm and he will fold the heavens in his right. Then he will say, Anal Malik, I am the king. Aina mulukul ard. Where are the kings of the heavens? Uh, I mean the kings of the earth. Then Imam Sufyan ibn Uyayna alayhi rahmatullah states, كلما وصف الله به نفسه في كتابه فتفسيره تلاوته والسكوت عليه امام سفيان ابن عيينا عليه رحمه الله states every description with which allah azza wa jalla described himself in his book you know that he has a face he has hands etc the explanation of it stops with its recitation and maintaining silence about it. Meaning we do not try to explain what the word hand means here. We read it. We believe in it. But we won't, you know, give it any form and compare it to probably our hands. 
Now, due to the existence of deviant sects that attempted to give Allah Azza wa Jalla form and shape based on verses like this, scholars like Allama Ismail ibn, uh, ibn Kathir, alayhi rahmatullah, state, there are a hadith related to this verse. The part to adopt regarding this verse and verses of the like is to read it as it is, just as our pious predecessors did. And do not attempt to attribute a physical form to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or to distort the meanings of such verses. Now some scholars state that the meaning of this verse is that all the seven earths is the grip, the palm of Allah. He will hold it with his left hand on Yomul Qiyamah. And the heavens are folded. He folds it with his right hand. And we have a hadith of Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu, which was just recited. وَعَنْ أَبِي هُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَىٰ عَنْهُ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَقْبِضُ اللَّهُ السَّمَاوَاتِ بِيَمِينِهِ وَالْأَرْضِينَ بِيَدِهِ الْأُخْرَىٰ ثُمَّ يَحُزُّهُنَّ وَيَقُولُ أَنَا الْمَلِكِ أَيْنَ مُلُوكُ الْأَرْضِ Now here, there is some addition in this riwayah. Here Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu states, Allah will grab the heavens in his right hand and the earth in, his, in, a, in the other hand, he doesn't say left hand, then he will shake them and he will say, I am the king, where are the kings of the earth? Now there is an inference in this verse regarding left hand and um, is... Um, Indicated, it is indicated by the word al-ukhra. Wal-ardina biyadihi al-ukhra. These are two qualities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We confirm them. We believe in them. Without creating a semblance between them and anything else. Or comparing them with anything else. It could refer to the power of Allah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then declares himself above whatever they describe him to be stating subhanahu he is pure of anything they associate with him of a spouse and an offspring wa ta'ala amma yushrikun he is above what they associate with him of objects of worship which they worship and claim that these objects are associates of Allah despite this absolute power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and mind-boggling wisdom the message here is how far-fetched is their claim that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has associates from his creation while his power is beyond the imagination of man. 
how can they ever believe that a being that would have the seven earths and seven heavens, you know, in the palms of his hands, have a partner from within the seven earths and the seven heavens? If, you know, the seven earths and the seven heavens, you know, uh, for the purpose of understanding, we'll say, are like a mustard seed in the palm of the hand of man. And as it was mentioned, you place a mustard seed in the center of your palm, there's a whole lot of space that is remaining. So how tiny is the seven heavens and the seven earths? And yet, people want to take one creature from within the seven heavens or the seven earths and, you know, make that creature a partner unto Allah. How foolish is that? You know, last week it was mentioned that when one associates a partner with Allah, a partner from among creation, considering man is Ashraful Makhlukat, he, you know, he is the noblest of creation, he is taking a creation that is inferior to himself and associating that with Allah. And in doing so, he himself is losing his insaniyah. He, 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 he can no more claim that that Ashraful Makhlukat refers to him also. Because you took something that is tinier than a mustard seed in your hand and you made that thing a partner unto Allah. How foolish is that? Now to have a clear understanding of the message of this verse 67, which tells us they did not recognize Allah as he should be recognized or they did not estimate Allah as he should be estimated or their concept of Allah was incorrect. To have a clear understanding of the message of this verse 67 of Surah Az-Zumar, we have to read from verse 63 right up to 67. So let us just go through that. Now we read in these verses, A'udhu billahi minash rajim Allahu khaliqu kulli shayyun wa huwa ala kulli shayyun wakil Lahu maqalidu samawati wal ardi wal kafaru bi وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْخَاسِرُونَ قُلْ أَفَغَيْرَ اللَّهِ تَأْمُرُونِّي يَعْبُدُ أَيُّهَا الْجَاهِلُونَ وَلَقَدْ أُوهِيَ إِلَيْكَ وَإِلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ لَئِنْ أَشْرَكْتَ Allah 
Now, beginning with verses 62 and 63, Allah says, Allah is the creator of everything. And of all things, He is the guardian, He is the wakil. His are the keys of the heavens and the earth. Those who deny the revelations of Allah will surely be the losers. That is a rough translation of verses 62 and 63. This is the truth that everything in the universe confirms. No one can ever claim to create anything. No rational being can claim that this universe came into existence without a creator. When everything in it testifies to elaborate planning and a clear purpose behind creation, nothing in it, from the very small to the very large, is left to chance. Of all things, he is the guardian into his control. The heavens and the earth are placed. He conducts their affairs the way he chooses. They operate, the heavens and the earth operate in accordance with the system he put in place for them. No will other than his interferes with anything. This is acknowledged by human nature, confirmed by practical fact and endorsed by reason and conscience. وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْخَاسِرُونَ Those who deny the revelations of Allah will surely be the losers. They have lost the understanding that makes their lives on earth consistent and harmonious with the life of the universe. They have lost the comfort of divine guidance, the beauty of faith, the reassurance of belief and the sweetness of certainty. On the day of judgment, they will lose their own souls and their families. Hence the term losers applies to them in all its shades and connotations. In the light of this truth, testified to by the heavens, the earth and every creature, in the universe, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is instructed, uh, you know, how to reply to the idolaters' offer of both parties joining together in the worship of the idols and Allah wa at the same time. It is as if the whole question is a bargain to be struck by compromise. Hence we read, in verse number 64, قُلْ 
Afakhairallahi ta'muruni a'budu ayyuhal jahilun Say, O oh you ignorant people, would you bid me to worship anyone other than Allah? This is the natural reaction to such a stupid offer that, betray, that portrays nothing but ignorance. This is followed with a clear warning against associating partners with Allah, beginning with the Anbiya and the Rusul of Allah who would never entertain even the slightest thought of such association. This, however, serves to alert all others the truth that in the question of who is to be worshipped, to alert all others to the truth that in the question of who is to be worshipped. Allah stands alone without partners while in the question of offering worship all mankind including the Anbiya and the Rusul uh, the Prophets and the Messengers are in the same position as the servants of Allah we read in verse number 65 of this passage under discussion. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem Laqad uhiya ilayka wa ila alladheena min qablika la'in ashrakta la'yahbatanna amaluk wa minal khasirin it has been revealed to you and to those before you that if you ever associate partners with Allah, all your work shall be certainly all your work shall certainly come to nothing, and you shall certainly be among the lost. This warning against associating partners with Allah concludes with an order to worship Allah alone. We are to show gratitude to Him for providing us with guidance to the path of certainty. We should also thank him for all his countless favors which he bestows on us and which we will enjoy at every moment of our lives. As we read in verse number 66, Worship Allah alone. And be one of those who are grateful. No true understanding of Allah do they have. Indeed, they have no clear or true understanding of Him when they associate with Him some of His creatures. Nor do they worship Him as He should be worshipped. They do not appreciate His oneness, greatness, majesty and power. Therefore, the surah reveals to us an aspect of the great power of Allah in the normal Quranic way of drawing images that place before our eyes a fundamental truth. Hence we read, 
وَالْأَرْضُ جَمِيعًا قَبْدَتُهُ يَوْمَ الْكِيَامَةِ وَالسَّمَاوَاتُ مَتْوِيَّاتٌ بِأَمِينِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى عَمَّا يُشْرِكُونَ On the day of resurrection, the whole earth will be a mere handful to him. And the heavens will be rolled up in his right hand. Limitless is he in his glory and sublimely exalted above anything which they associate as partner with him. All that we read in the Quran or in Ahadith of such images and scenes are given in order to present fundamental truths that we would otherwise not comprehend. In other words, we need images we can visualize. Here we have an example of this method, portraying for us an aspect of the absolute power of Allahu Azza wa Jalla that cannot be limited to one form. Placed within one area, or confined within certain boundaries. We will, inshallah, terminate here with our segment on Tazkiyah to Nafs, purification of the soul. And currently we are trying to understand the greatness and the power and all the other characteristics and names of Allah Azza wa Jalla. This is one of the you know, fundamental uh, knowledge that we must have to actually purify our souls. So from now on until 9 o'clock, we get on with our dua segment. We are currently discussing fiqh dua. And at 9, inshallah, we will have our news and break. And thereafter, we get on with our segment with on Palestine and then conclude with our preparation for the month of Ramadan. Now, we spoke about grades and levels of acceptance when giving charity. Now, this also applies to dua. You know, we spoke when we spoke about charity, we mentioned the intention with which it is given, to whom it is given, whether it is given to a relative that is poor, where you can gain more rewards, you know, the reward for silatul rahim, maintaining relation with kit and kin and the reward for sadaqah or whether you gave it to a poor stranger and they are going to lose out on the reward for uh, you know maintaining relationships silatul rahim and then we spoke about uh, the kind of wealth that is given for charity it is pure halal wealth or is it wealth that is tarnished earned in a haram way and then the person you are giving the charity to you know, is it a person who is in need or who is independent of your charity? And then are you abusing your uh, benefactor, the beneficiary, I mean the beneficiary, you know, keep on telling him things like it's because of me you are surviving, etc. Are you giving it to him secretly or publicly? You know, in doing so you mustn't sort of uh, make him feel small in front of other people. So all these things were discussed. Now when it comes to dua also, there are 
levels of acceptance. Firstly, did the person supplicate to Allah while turning to him in repentance? You know, there are ulama who state when you make dua, when they discuss the adab, the etiquettes of making dua, they'll tell you start with praising Allah, praising Allah then send salawat and salam upon his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then before you proceed to ask for your needs, ask for forgiveness. Read du'as like, Rabbana zalamna anfusana wa illam taqfir lana wa tarhamna lanakunanna min al-khasideen. Read a du'a like that. Our Rabb, we have wronged ourselves. You know, if you do not have mercy on us and forgive us, we would be of the, of the uh, losers. Read du'as that are in the Qur'an, you know, that guides us to seek forgiveness. Or hadith, Rabbi inni zalamtu nafsi zulman kathira wa la illa anta fakfirli Oh Allah, I have wronged myself uh, in a great way. And none can, you know, forgive sins except you. So forgive me. And then thereafter, you ask for your needs. And, you know, the ulama would always advise, stick to the du'as that are there in the Qur'an and the du'as that are taught by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You get some people, they want to make up their own du'as, there's no problem. But then they, they don't even, you know, read that dua with the proper grammar. Now, besides making dua, asking for your needs, after first asking for magfira, forgiveness, and repenting, secondly, did he make dua in a state of fear and hope? As we read in the Holy Quran, this Quranic verse, wherein Allah states, "A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim, wa la tufsidu fil ardi ba'da islahiha wa da'uhu khawfan wa tama'a." And work not corruption upon the earth after it has been set aright. Call upon him in fear and in hope. So was your dua made in such a state of fear and hope, surely the mercy of Allah is ever near unto the virtuous, the muhsinun. Now, that's another condition of the dua, that the dua must be made while one is in a state of fear and hope. Then, thirdly, did he make the dua earnestly and in secret? Because Allah Azza wa Jalla tell us in Surah Al-A'raf, Call upon your Rabb humbly and in secret. Truly, he loves not the transgressors. So this verse is telling us, 
earnestly beseech him, beg him, khufya, secretly. Fourthly, did he make dua sincerely? As Allah Azza wa Jalla tells us in Surah Al-Ghafir, فَدَعُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ So call upon Allah, devoting deen entirely to him, sincerely. Fifthly, did he make dua for something good or something evil? In a hadith of Sayyiduna Abu Hurairah radiyallahu ta'ala anhu we read, an Sayyidina Abi Hurairata radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, anin nabiyyi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam annahu qal, La yazalu yustajabu lil'abdi ma lam yada'u bi'ithmin o qati'ati rahimin ma lam yasta'ajil. Qila ya Rasulallahi mal isti'ajal. Qala yaqulu qad da'awtu wa qad da'awtu falam ara yastajibu li fayastahsiru ainda dhalika wa yada'udduah. Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiyallahu ta'ala anhu reported that reported Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as saying the supplication of the servant is granted in case he does not supplicate for sin as long as la yazalu yustajabu lil'ab ma lam yada'u bi'ithmin o qati'ati rahimin so as long as he does not supplicate for something sinful, make dua for something sinful, or for severing the ties, blood ties, or he does not become impatient, it was said, Ya Rasulallah, what does, if he does not grow impatient, mean? What do you mean by this? And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam responded saying that he should say, I supplicated and I supplicated, but I did not find it being answered. I made dua and I made dua and there's no answer. And then he becomes frustrated and abandons making dua. This is one thing you never do. Because Allah knows best when to answer your dua and how to answer your dua. Sixthly, very important, Today, people are fascinated with food. I remember once sitting in a gathering and one person asked the alim, you know, how would Dajjal be able to fascinate us? And the alim said, just as McDonald's and Kentucky and all these foods fascinate you, you know, there's Muslims that don't even worry whether it's halal and haram. Like that, Dajjal will fascinate you also. It's very important that we eat and drink and wear strictly halal for our du'as to get answered, for our salah to be accepted. So this is also a condition. Was the person making du'a, was his food, drink and clothes acquired through halal means? We read in a famous hadith, and Sayyidina Abi Hurairata radiyallahu ta'ala anhu qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ayyuhannas, inna allaha tayyib 
la yaqbalu illa tayyiban wa innallaha amaral mu'minina bima amara bihil mursalin faqala ya ayyuhar rusul qulu minat tayyibati wa'malu saliha inni bima ta'maluna alim wa qala ya ayyuhalladhina amanu qulu min tayyibati ma razaqnakum thumma thaqara arrajula yutilu as-safar ash'atha akbara yamuddu yadayhi ila as-samaa ya rabbi ya rabbi wa mat'amuhu haramun wa mashrabuhu haramun wa malbus wa malbasuhu haramun wa ghudhiya bil haram fa anna yustajab li dhalik we just translate this and then go on to our break sayyidina abu huraira radiyallahu ta'ala anhu reported that rasul reported rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam as saying o people allah is pure and he therefore accepts only that which is pure and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded the believers as he commanded the messengers by saying o messengers eat of the good things and do not and do good deeds verily i am aware of what you do and he said to the believers o you who believe eat of the good things so the same message to the messengers and the believers of the good things that we have given you he then made mention of a person who travels widely his hair is disheveled and is covered with dust he lifts lifts his hands towards the sky and thus makes the supplication my rab my rab whereas his food is haram his drink is haram and his clothes are haram and his nourishment is unlawful how then can his supplication be accepted insha allah we will stop at this point we will now go on a break and after the break we begin with our segment on palestine i was a grapevine in palestine where i lived with a family on a farm Every day before dawn the roosters would call before fajr salah was performed then labor and toil in the fields so in seed we would witness the farm transform i was a grapevine in palestine where i lived with a family on a farm then the day came i will never forget When they pulled our roots from the soil they slashed every vine and they chopped every tree every chicken inside they killed I was a grapevine in Palestine and I have a story to tell The farmers watched in vain filled with tears and pain as the bullets went flying in Oh what a price to pay pay for this land this land of Palestine I was a grapevine in Palestine where I lived with a family on a farm I was a grapevine in Palestine where I lived with a family on a farm السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته once again ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban to the listeners of Markaz Sahaba to this edition of 
Coffee Express coming to you live from our studios in Durban. Inshallah, we now get on with our segment on Palestine. Now, this session, Inshallah, will deal with what the Quran has to say about Palestine. Now, we mentioned that, you know, there is, alhamdulillah, out of this great population that we have, there is a very small group uh, that are uh, really active in uh, uh, resisting the Israeli occupation of Palestine. Now, to those who are firm, perseverant, those who are activists and possess insight and foresight, the call directed to such people is to enter to this unavoidable battle with the Yahud, equipped with the Holy Quran as their weapon, seeking light from the illumination of the Holy Quran and interacting with the realities of the Holy Quran with absolute Iman, absolute Yaqeen. And um, uh, we will inshallah be discussing that today. Now, we know that the Yahud, the Jutlas are frauds. The Holy Quran has exposed their forgery. Forgery is part of the natural disposition. It is common knowledge. The forgery is that forgery is a means of corruption. And since the Jutlas desire nothing but corruption, they cannot liberate themselves from the shackles of the act of fraud and forgery. Corruption, deception, and immorality are the foundation of Yahudi existence. Their existence cannot survive without them being deceptive. The Holy Quran has explained this to us. Let us now look at what the Quran informs us about the blessed land, Al-Ardul Mubaraka. Palestine and its surroundings are blessed. Allah Azza wa Jalla blessed this land. Hence it is sacred, sanctified by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He subhanahu wa ta'ala created this land for Iman, for Aqeedah, a pure and virtuous land, a land of struggle and martyrdom, and a land that serves as the deciding and confirming factor. Palestine and its surroundings has a long history of submission of Islam and Iman, faith. Noble prophets migrated to Palestine. Great messengers lived in Palestine. True believers took up residence in this land. The Mujahidun fought for this land. Islamic states were established there. And armies of the infidels were defeated there. Iman was firmly established in Palestine since ancient times. It is deep-rooted there. Often did the infidels attempt to uproot Iman from Palestine. 
and replace it with godlessness. However, their attempts led to nothing but failure. Allah states that Palestine and its surroundings must be blessed and uh, I mean he blessed uh, the surroundings and Palestine and you know sanctified this land for the nation which is going to be his khalafa and bear testimony against mankind and that is the ummah of Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he subhanahu wa ta'ala requested this ummah to protect this land just as he subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed the failure of the conspiracies of the infidels who desire to take control over that land. He subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it obligatory upon those who are his khulafa to engage in jihad against the infidels on its blessed soil. This blessed and sacred land is currently under the attack of a primitive people stuck in the process of evolution. Hence they are by barbaric and uncivilized behavior a people whom uh, or a specimen will say, a species whom Charles Darwin probably encountered and developed his theory of evolution. These primitive, uncivilized beings that lack insania, humanity, are bent upon taking control of this land in an illegitimate manner. They want to transform this land into a base for satanic Zionism, a base from where they want to rule over the whole world. Men who are righteous, Muslim, Mujahidun, are resisting this Yahudi plot. They are declaring the Islamic plan for this earth, a plan that recognizes and grants the rights of all creation besides human beings. They reject the Yahudi existence on that land on the basis of firm Iman. Hence, because their resistance is on the basis of Iman and it's not political, their resistance is unflinching. Quranic verses refer to a conclusive reality and that reality is the blessing with which he, subhanahu wa ta'ala, blessed this land. And that blessing is something that's established and it's perpetual. It will go on until Yawmul Qiyamah. When we look into the mention of the word Barakna in the Holy Quran, we observe something of significance. The verses of the Holy Quran confines the past tense verb Barakna, which means we blessed, to the blessed land of Palestine and its surrounding. The verb Barakna appears six times in the Holy Quran. And all these occasions 
on all these occasions, this verse refers to Palestine, the blessed land. And this verb, Barakna, confirms that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself blessed this land. Now let's look at the coming of Nabi Ibrahim and Nabi Lut to this land of Palestine. Allah Azza wa Jalla states in the Holy Quran regarding Nabi Ibrahim as we read in Surah Al-Anbiya A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem Wa Najjaynahu Wa Lutan Ilal Ardi Allati Barakna Fiha Lil'Alameen and we delivered him and Nabi Lut alayhim as salatu wassalam to the land that we blessed for all peoples. Now we delivered him, meaning Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salatu wassalam and Nabi Lut alayhi salatu wassalam. As we know, Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salatu wassalam was originally in Iraq and there he fulfilled the obligation of da'wah to the worship and servitude of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone with which he was entrusted. He challenged his disbelieving people, presented irrefutable evidence to prove the false nature of his people's beliefs. He even invited his father to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as mentioned in Surah Maryam. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem إذ قال لأبيه يا أبتي لما تعبد ما لا يسمع ولا يبصر ولا يغني عنك شيئا يا أبتي إني قد جاءني من العلم ما لم يأتك فاتبعني أعدك and recall when he said to his father, O oh my father, why do you worship that which neither hears nor sees nor can avail you in any way? O oh my father, very near knowledge has come unto me and has not come unto you. So follow me and I shall guide you upon a sound path. O my father, worship not Satan. Surely Satan is disobedient towards the compassionate. O my father, truly I fear that a punishment from the compassionate will befall you, such that you will become a friend of Satan. He invited his people to the worship and servitude of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and refuted the worship and servitude of entities other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with evidence and logic as we are informed in Suratul An'am 
أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وكذلك نري إبراهيم ملكوت السماوات والأرض وليكون من الموقنين فلما جن عليه الليل رعى قوكبا قال هذا ربي فلما أفل قال لا أهب العافلين فلما رأى القمر بازغا قال هذا ربي فلما أفل قال ليل لم يهدني ربي لأكونن لأكونن من القوم الضالين فلما رأى الشمس بازغة قال هذا ربي هذا أكبر فلما فلت قال يا قوم إني بريء مما تشركون إني وجعت وجهي للذي فتر السماوات والأرض فتر السماوات والأرض عنيفا وما أنا من المشركين وحاجه قومه قال أتهاجوني في الله وقد عدعت ولا أخاف ما تشركون به إلا أن يشاء ربي شيئا وَسِيَ رَبِّي كُلَّ شَيْءٍ عِلْمًا أَفَلَا تَتَذَكَّرُونَ وَكَيْفَ أَخَافُ مَا أَشْرَكْتُمْ وَلَا تَخَافُونَ أَنَّكُمْ أَشْرَكْتُمْ بِاللَّهِ مَا لَمْ يُنَزِّلْ مَا لَمْ يُنَزِّلْ بِهِ عَلَيْكُمْ سُلْطَانًا فأي الفريقين أحق بالأمن إن كنتم تعلمون Now in these verses we read Thus did we show Nabi Ibrahim the dominion of the heavens and the earth that he might be among those possessing certainty When the night grew dark upon him he saw a star he said this is my Rabb But when it set he said I love not things that set. Then when he saw the moon rising, he said, This is my Rabb. But when it set, he said, If my Rabb does not guide me, I shall surely be among the people who are astray. Then when he saw the sun rising, he said, This is my Rabb. This is greater. But when it set, he said, O oh my people, truly I am Quit of the partners you ascribe. I quit the partners you ascribe. Truly, as a Hanif, I have turned my face towards him who created the heavens and the earth, and I am not of the idolaters. His people disputed with him. He said, Do you dispute with me concerning Allah when he has guided me? I fear not the partners you ascribe unto him, save as my rub wills. My Rabb encompasses all things in knowledge. Will you not then remember? 
How should I fear the partners you ascribe when you do not fear ascribing partners unto Allah for which he has sent down to you no authority? So which of the two parties has greater right to security? If you but knew. Then he invited the tyrant king Nimrod to Allah when this king refused to accept Iman. As we are informed in Surah Baqarah in verse number 258. قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ رَبِّيَ الَّذِي يُحْيِي وَيُمِيتُ قَالَ أَنَا أُحْيِي وَأُمِيتُ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْتِي بِالشَّمْسِ مِنَ الْمَشْرِقِ فَأَتِي بِهَا مِنَ الْمَغْرِبِ فَبُجِتَ الَّذِي كَفَرَ وَاللَّهُ لَا يَهْدِ الْقَوْمَ الظَّالِمِينَ Has thou not considered him who disputed with uh, Ibrahim والسلام, about his Rabb because Allah had given him sovereignty? When Ibrahim said, my Rabb gives life and causes death, he said, I give life and cause death. Ibrahim said, truly Allah brings the sun from the east, bring it then from the west. Thus was he who disbelieved confounded, and Allah guides not wrongdoing people. When his people refused to accept Iman, he desired to remove the barrier that came between his people and Iman, the barriers which were the idols with which or idols which they considered as gods and worshipped them instead of Allah When they went to celebrate the festival of Nehru's outside the city, Nabi Ibrahim والسلام, smashed their idols when they returned and eventually discovered that it was and eventually they discovered that it was Nabi Ibrahim والسلام, who smashed the idols. Judgment was issued that he must be burnt in a fire. Hence they kindled a massive fire and threw him into it. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved him from the fire by instructing the fire to be cold and safe. Hence he emerged from the fire unscathed as mentioned in Surah Al-Anbiya and Surah As-Safat. At this juncture, matters between him and his people reached the point of no return. Hence it was incumbent that he paths ways with his people and search for a new location and settle down there and execute the task of da'wah which was obligatory upon him. So he announces migration from his city to his rabb. He left with his family of believers. Nabi Lut والسلام, was among those who believed in him and migrated with him as Allah informs us in Surah Al-Ankabut. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem 
فَآمَنَ لَهُ لُوطٌ وَقَالَ إِنِّي مُهَاجِرٌ إِلَى رَبِّي إِنَّهُ هُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ Nabi Lut alayhissalatu wassalam believed in him. Meaning he believed in Nabi Ibrahim alayhissalatu wassalam. And he said, I am migrating to my Rabb. Indeed, he is the Almighty, the Allwise. When Nabi Ibrahim and Nabi Lut alayhissalatu wassalam migrated from Iraq, Allah azza wa jalla directed them to the blessed land of Palestine to take up residence there and to engage in the obligatory act of da'wah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam settled in the area of Baytul Maqdis in the blessed land while Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directed Nabi Lut alayhi salatu wasalam to the east of Baytul Maqdis to be a prophet among the nomadic people there and to execute the act of da'wah. These people were later known as the people of Lut. This land where these two noble prophets, Nabi Ibrahim and Nabi Lut wasalam, took up residence for the purpose of da'wah is the same land mentioned in the verse of Surah Al-Anbiya وَنَجَّيْنَاهُ وَلُوتًا إِلَى الْأَرْضِ الَّتِي بَارَكْنَا فِيهَا لِلْعَالَمِينَ And we delivered him, meaning Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salatu wassalam and Nabi Lut alayhi salatu wassalam to the land which we have um, blessed and that is referring to no other land but Palestine that's the land that it is uh, referring to now going further let us look at the coming of Dhurriyah uh, to Ibrahim fi Philistine the progeny of Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salatu wassalam in Palestine now, when we look at uh, this, Allah Jalla states about Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam and Nabi Ishaq alayhi salatu wasalam as we read in the Holy Quran, A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim wa basharnahu bi Ishaq nabiyyam minas salihin وَبَارَكْنَا عَلَيْهِ وَعَلَىٰ إِسْحَاقَ وَمِنْ ذُرِّيَّةِ إِمَامٌ مُحْسِنٌ وَمِنْ ذُرِّيَّةِ إِمَامٌ مُحْسِنٌ وَظَالِمٌ لِنَفْسِهِ مُبِينٌ We later gave him glad tidings, good news about Nabi Ishaq a prophet and one of the righteous. We blessed him and Nabi Ishaq as well. Some of the descendants did good while others certainly wronged themselves. Clearly wronged themselves. That is the Yahud. Nabi Ibrahim wasalam, settled in a piece of land in this blessed country of Palestine which Allah Azza wa Jalla himself blessed. 
On one occasion, he visited Misr, which was ruled by a tyrannous king, and this king desired to violate his wife, Sarah, alayhi salam. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected her while she was in the palace of the king by means of a mind-boggling miracle that caused that king to honor Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam and give Hajar as a gift, Hajar alayhi salam as a gift to Sarah. In turn, Sarah, his wife, gave this gift Hajar alayhi salam to Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam as a gift also, as recorded by Imam al-Bukhari in his Sahih. Nabi Ibrahim والسلام, then returned to Palestine and in Palestine Hajar والسلام, gave birth to Nabi Ismail thereafter Nabi Ibrahim والسلام, took Hajar and Nabi Ismail والسلام, to the Hijaz upon the instruction of Allah so so far we learned Nabi Ibrahim went to Palestine. Nabi Lut went to Palestine. Nabi Ismail was in Palestine. Three prophets already. Thereafter, he, meaning Nabi Ibrahim, after leaving Hajar and Nabi Ismail in Makkah, he returned to Palestine the blessed land which was his permanent residence at that time and thereupon his wife Sarah gave birth to Nabi Ishaq alayhi salatu wasalam. So now we're looking at five prophets, Nabi Ibrahim, Nabi Lut, Nabi Ismail and Nabi Ishaq, four prophets that were in the land of Palestine. Allah blessed Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam with residence in Palestine, just as he subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed his son Nabi Ishaq alayhi salatu wasalam with residence there. Hence we read in the Holy Quran, وَبَارَكْنَا عَلَيْهِ وَعَلَىٰ Ishaq. We blessed him and Ishaq alayhi salam. Meaning we bless them with residency in the blessed land of Palestine. Nabi Ishaq remained in the blessed land of Palestine after the demise of his father Nabi Ibrahim and thereafter his son Nabi Yaqub lived in this blessed land of Palestine. So now it's five Ambiya we, we have reached that uh, lived in Palestine. When Nabi Yaqub migrated to Misr when his son Nabi Yusuf alayhi salatu wasalam had a position of authority there, he took his other sons with him to Misr and they took up residence there. Nabi Yaqub alayhi salatu wasalam and his son Nabi Yusuf alayhi salatu wasalam passed away in Misr. After that, they were people who were the Banu Israel, the children of Nabi Yaqub, went through a phase of oppression and tyranny under the rule of the pharaohs of Misr. This phase of oppression and tyranny under the rule of the pharaohs was for a long period of time. It went on until Allah enacted his will 
and desire to deliver them from oppression. Hence, he subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Nabi Musa alayhi salatu wasalam as a Nabi to Pharaoh and instructed him to request Pharaoh to send the children of Israel with him and allow them to leave Misr. Now we come to Maji'u Bani Israel ila Philistine. And this, inshallah, we will discuss in our next session, which would be tomorrow. We'll just read the Quranic verse for now. A'udhu billahi minash rajim وَأَوْرَثْنَا الْقَوْمَ الَّذِينَ كَانُوا يُسْتَذْعَفُونَ مَشَارِقَ الْعَرْضِ وَمَغَارِبَهَا الَّتِي بَارَكْنَا فِيهَا وَتَمَّتْ كَلِمَةُ رَبِّكَ الْحُسْنِ and so we made the oppressed people successes of the eastern and western lands which we had showered with blessings. In this way, the noble word of your Rabb was fulfilled for the children of Israel. Now, children of Israel mean children of Nabi Yaqub Some people think children of Israel mean the word Israelia refers to that country Israel. No, it's not about Israel. It is the children of Nabi Yaqub because Nabi Yaqub was called Israel. Isra meaning Abd and Il meanings Allah, Abdullah. So, as we are saying, uh, in this way the noble word of your Rabb was fulfilled for the children of Israel for what they had endured because of the sabr. And we destroyed what Fir'aun and his people constructed and what they established. Insha'Allah, the details of this will be discussed in our session tomorrow because we are now going to be doing our, our preparation for Ramadan. We read that dua um, from this month of Shaban, Allahumma barik lana. Fi Rajab wa Shaban, I mean this month of Rajab, and Wabaligna um, Ramadan, and convey us to Ramadan. Now, what do we mean when we say Allahumma barik lana fi Rajab wa Shaban? Oh Allah, bless us in Rajab and Shaban, meaning give us the hidayah to prepare for Ramadan. Now, we were discussing the merits of Ramadan. The first merit of this month of Ramadan was mentioned and that was revelation of all the divine books in this month. The second merit is mentioned in the hadith. Qala Allahu Azza wa Jalla Kullu amal ibn Adam lahu illa sum fa innahu li wa ana ajzi bihi. In this hadith, 
Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam states that Allah Azza wa Jalla says, so it is a hadith qudsi that all the deeds of Nabi Adam alayhi salatu wa salam is for him except fasting. Indeed it is for me and I will reward for it. Now we know that even fasting is for the benefit of Nabi, of the children of Adam, of man. Not the benefit of Allah. Allah Azza wa Jalla is ghaniyun hamid. He benefits from nothing. But inshallah, we will discuss what this actually means when Allah Azza wa Jalla says, فَإِنَّهُ لِي وَأَنَا أَدْزِبِهِ It is for me and I will reward him for it. Why I will reward him for it? إِنَّهُ إِنَّمَا تَرَكَ شَهْوَتَهُ وَتُعَامَهُ وَشَرَابَهُ مِنْ أَجْلِ Because he left his shahwa, his desires, his food and his drink for no reason but for me. Allama Ibn Abdul Bar, a, for one of the foremost ulama of the Maliki Madhab, states that the statement Asomuli is sufficient as a merit for fasting over other forms of ritual worship. The ulama differ in relation to the statement Asomuli wa ana adzibihi. This is due to the fact that all righteous deeds are for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Allah Azza wa Jalla is specifying Asomuli, fasting is for me, wa ana adzibihi, and I will reward for him. He rewards for all other ibadat also. So this is due to the fact that all righteous deeds are for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as He alone grants rewards for righteous deeds. The different opinions are as follows. Number one, fasting unlike other forms of worship is void of show. Imam Al-Qurtubi alayhi rahmatullah states, since every other act can be done for show while this does not apply to fasting. Because when a person fasts, no one knows he or she is fasting unless he or she informs them except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah azza wa jalla is the only person that knows or, or the only being that knows a person is fasting. Then he related fasting to himself. Imam Abu Ubaid alayhi rahmatullah states, we know that acts of righteousness are all for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He alone grants rewards for these acts. It is our view and Allah knows best that he subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically chose fasting for himself because when a person fasts, there are no visible signs that indicate that he is fasting. Fasting is something that is in his heart. This is so because acts do not materialize except with visible movements, except fasting. It is based on intention, which is invisible to people. As it is common knowledge that anything that is related to Allah attains an elevated status over what is not related to him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala related the Kaaba to himself. We say Baytullah. Hence, the precincts of the Kaaba is the noblest location. He subhanahu wa ta'ala also related the month of Muharram to himself. As we read in a hadith, Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Afdalus siyam 
بعد رمضان صوم شهر الله المحرم أخرجه الإمام مسلم In this hadith Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam states that the most meritorious fast after the fasting of Ramadan is fasting in the sacred month of Allah Shahrullah the month of Allah He subhanahu wa ta'ala related the month to himself so on that basis or the ulama say Muharram is the noblest month of course there's difference of opinion he subhanahu wa ta'ala related fasting to himself this indicates that fasting is the noblest of acts Allama ibn Rajab al-Hambali alayhi rahmatullah states much has been stated about the meaning of the statement as fasting is for me the ulama mentioned many views about this however there are two views that are most plausible firstly fasting is about forsaking one's natural desires desires with which the soul was created solely for the sake of Allah this is not to be found in any for other form of worship one may abstain from uh, you know uh, the conjugal rites and whatever leads to it like wearing perfume while one is in ihram however one does not abstain from food and drink this also applies to salah of course while one is in the process of salah one forsakes all one's desires but this is for a very short period of time hence one does not miss eating and drinking while in the process of salah in fact man has been forbidden from reading salah while in the state of hunger as one would not be able to concentrate while one is hungry that is why in one riwayah we read al-asha qabla al-isha that your dinner must be you know taken before you read salah eat your dinner before you read salah because uh, you mustn't be reading salah and thinking about what's for dinner this is opposed to fasting fasting is for the period of the whole day and the person who is fasting feels missing the fulfillment of the he feels the missing of the fulfillment of these desires and he yearns for their fulfillment particularly in the heat of summer when the time span of fasting is long hence it has been narrated min khisal al-iman as-sawm fi-sayf one of the characteristics of iman is fasting in summer rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam used to fast while on journey during ramadan in the severe heat while the sahaba radiyallahu ta'ala anhum abstained as we read in a riwayah of sayyiduna abu darda radiyallahu ta'ala anhu kunna ma'an nabiyyi sallallahu alayhi wasallam fi ramadan fi safar wa ahaduna yad'u yadahu ala ra'sihi min shiddati al-har wa ma fina sa'im illa rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam wa abdullah ibn rawaha wa fil muwatta annahu sallallahu alayhi sallallahu alayhi wasallam kana bil arj yusabbul ma ala ra'sihi wa huwa sa'im min al-ash aw al-har 
Sayyidina Abu Darda radiyallahu ta'ala anhu states, We were on a journey with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. One of us placed his hand on his head due to the intense heat and there was none amongst us who was fasting except Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Rawaha. Now when the yearning of the nafs becomes intense for what it desires, and what is desire, what it desires is within its reach. However, it abstains for the sake of Allah while being in such a position where no one can see it except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That becomes evidence of the validity of Iman. Indeed, a fasting person knows that he has a Rabb who watches over him even when he is in isolation. Hence, he obeys the commands of his Rabb and he abstains from his prohibitions out of fear for his punishment and desire for his reward. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is appreciative of this. Hence, he subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen this act of fasting for himself from among all the other acts. It is for this reason Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, Innama taraka shahwatahu wa tu'amahu wa sharabahu min ajli. Indeed, he has left his desires, his food, and his drink for my sake. Qala ba'lu salaf tuba liman taraka shahwatan hadiratan limaw'idin ghaybin lam yarahu. One of the pious predecessors said, Fortunate is one who abstains from a desire that is present for a promise that is absent which he has not seen. Such a person is a fortunate person. He abstains from that desire only for one reason. Because of a promise which he has not seen. This is an indication uh, to Al-Iman Bil-Ghayb. This person you know, believes in the unseen. Now, going further, since the fasting person knows the extent of the pleasure of his Rabb for this act, he abstains from his desires, hence he gives the pleasure of his Rabb preference over his desire. His delight in abstaining from his desires for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, due to his iman, due to his knowledge that Allah azza wa jalla is watching him, and his iman in the reward and punishment of Allah azza wa jalla. This joy, this delight is greater than the delight he will experience if he has to satisfy his desires in isolation giving preference to the pleasure of his Rabb over the desires of his nafs will most certainly be more delightful for him. In fact, the aversion of a believer to satisfy his desire while fasting in isolation is greater than his aversion for the pain of a beating, so much so if he is beaten to break his fast without a valid excuse, he won't do so. He would rather accept the beating. This is due to his knowledge 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would be displeased if he breaks his fast in the month of Ramadan. This is one of the signs of Iman, a believer's aversion for the desires of his soul when he knows Allah is averse to him satisfying his desires. He then finds pleasure in what pleases his Rabb, even though it may be against his desire and his pain is in whatever displeases his Rabb, even though it may be in agreement with his desires. If eating, drinking and satisfying one's legitimate carnal desires is forbidden because it would break one's fast while it is halal when one is not fasting, then it is appropriate that one abstains from those acts that are absolutely forbidden under all circumstances, like adultery, the consumption of intoxicants, usurping the rights of others, and murder, etc. Indeed, these acts earn the wrath of Allah under all circumstances, at all times, and in any location. Insha'Allah, we will terminate at this point and uh, continue from here uh, in our next session, which would be tomorrow. Uh, until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.